You're listening to the Arctic Circle podcast. In this episode, we listen to Rear Admiral retired Monty Kanna, Assistant Military Advisor at India's National Security Council Secretariat, and M. Ravishandran, Secretary at the Indian Ministry of Earth Sciences, introduce and discuss the new Arctic policy of India. This event originally took place at the 2022 Arctic Circle Assembly in Reykjavik, Iceland. Excellencies and shipmates, at this Arctic Circle Assembly, we are of, after all in one ship. <clears throat> it is indeed a proud privilege for us to be given this opportunity to present India's Arctic policy, building a partnership for sustainable development to this August gathering. Our Arctic policy was released by the Honorable Minister of Earth Sciences, Dr. Jitendra Singh, earlier this year on 17th March 22. Uh, after I finish speaking, my colleague uh, will be speaking on the science element of this. <clears throat> The origins of our engagement dates back to 1920 when we signed the Svalbard Treaty in Paris. Since then, we have significantly increased our engagement with the Arctic, the details of which will be elaborated in this presentation. Our Arctic policy rests on six pillars. These are science and research, climate and environmental protection, economic and human development, transportation and connectivity, governance and international cooperation, and national capacity building. The policy has been crafted after intensive consultations with all stakeholders, and the objectives contained in these six pillars are in consonance with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. We believe that these goals form the foundation of our engagement with the Arctic region. Science and research is at the forefront of our engagement with the Arctic. Our research station at Himadri a new Orisund in Svalbard was set up in 2008 and is currently manned for about 180 days in a year. We have so far taken 14 expeditions, the first one being in 2007. We have also set up a multi-sensory mood uh, observatory in Kongsfjorden in 2014 and an atmospheric laboratory in, in Gruvabadet in 2016. Our scientists visited the North Pole for the first time earlier this year as part of a Norwegian expedition. Going ahead, we intend to strengthen our research activities at Himadri by maintaining a continuous presence throughout the year. We also look forward to enhancing our collaboration with international partners in multidisciplinary research projects. We are also in the process of acquiring a dedicated ICE-class polar research vessel to increase our capacity and look forward to collaboration in this space. Space-enabled resources also play a significant role in sustainable development of the Arctic region. Indian Space Research Organization runs a highly developed space program. <laughs> Existing Indian capabilities such as ResourceSat and planned missions such as the NASA ISRO SARSAT, <laughs> which is a collaborative effort between ISRO and NASA, could be utilized for the larger benefit of the Arctic region. Moving on to the second pillar, all of us are impacted by the severe consequences of climate change. It consistently reminds us of the criticality of respecting the environment and urgency of finding collaborative solutions to issues that are essentially transnational in their character. The photograph on the left is an ice stupa, and I could speak about this in greater detail during the Q&A session. We believe that the UN Sustainable Development Goals form the foundation for engagement with the Arctic. I would like to mention that globally, India ranks third in renewable power, fourth in wind power, and fifth in solar power. We look forward to engage with partners to research on efficient climate and environmental modeling, 
preservation of fragile ecosystems, and leveraging traditional knowledge systems to preserve biodiversity and contain the effects of climate change. Insofar as economic and human de development is concerned, there is commonality in the living conditions of the indigenous people of the Himalayas and those of the Arctic. We follow ancient practices of traditional medicine and lifestyle systems such as Ayurveda, yoga, and naturopathy, amongst others which will find equal resonance in the Arctic. The ancient Indian practice of yoga has been recognized by the United Nations as, <clears throat> uh, uh, and the summer solstice every year, that is the 21st of June, is globally celebrated as the International Yoga Day. In a pioneering endeavor this year, the International Yoga Day celebrations were extended to the Arctic and the Antarctic regions. We aim to partner and collaborate with various stakeholders for responsible economic activity in the region with the highest regard to the fragile ecosystem as well as the socio-economic needs of, of the communities in the region. Towards this end, the Arctic Economic Council will be our key partner. We also aim to contribute towards food security through fail-safe seed storage in the region. As brought out earlier, our communities in the glacial Himalayan regions share similar living conditions as those faced by the 400,000 indigenous people of the Arctic. We would be glad to share best practices for the mutual benefit of these uh, uh, communities through cultural as well as educational exchanges. Insofar as transportation and connectivity is concerned, we rank third globally in terms of providing seafarers to the world and cater to almost 10% of global demand. Our seafarers have contributed towards the resilience of the global supply system during the COVID-19 pandemic. As new shipping routes open up in the Arctic, there would be growing requirements of manpower in different sectors of this domain. With your support, we could skill our mariners to operate in the region, thereby contributing towards fulfilling the human resource requirement of the region. We look forward to partner in the growth of sustainable, robust, and resilient infrastructure to cater for the requirements of transportation and connectivity. We would like to partner in the design, development, and construction of ICE-class vessels, we also seek partners to strengthen north-south connectivity, as this has the potential to significantly lower shipping costs, which would be immensely beneficial to the region. With regards to governance and international cooperation, we have ratified nearly all relevant international treaties and strongly support a rule-based international order in the region. We aim to promote peace, stability, and security within the framework of, of existing international laws and regulations, maintain a strong focus on preservation of the environment, and the sustainable economic, socio-economic development of the region. We also aim to enhance our understanding of regulations and legislations at the regional, national, and subnational levels. Coming to our final uh, pillar of national capacity building, our lead agency in this effort is the National Center for Polar and Ocean Research, the NCPR at Goa, under the Ministry of Earth Sciences. It is the spear a spearhead of India's nat National Polar Research Program and includes Arctic and Antarctic studies. Many universities in India are also introducing credit-based courses in Arctic studies from a scientific, scientific as well as so social perspective as part of their curriculum. Going forward, we will enhance our capabilities and augment our capacities in engaging the Arctic over a wide spectrum ranging from science and exploration to seafaring and responsible economic cooperation. Our philosophy of Atmanirbhar Bharat or self-reliant India will be the foundation of this effort. <clears throat>
We will partner with UArctic and other institutions of repute in the Arctic region in this initiative. No policy is complete without a robust monitoring and implementation mechanism. Our policy would be implemented through a comprehensive action plan drawn up and reviewed by a multi-agency empowered Arctic policy group headed by the Secretary, Ministry of Earth Sciences, Dr. Ravi Chandran, who is going to be speaking next. The mechanism involves multiple stakeholders from government, the science and the research community, academia, business and industry. To conclude, I would like to reiterate that the underlying theme of our engagement with the Arctic is sustainability. A collaborative approach in dealing with transnational challenges is not new to us and is captured in the ancient Indian philosophy of Vasudeva Kutumbakam, the world is but one family. Our concern for sustainable development has been articulated by the father of our nation, Mahatma Gandhi, who stated that the earth, the air, the land, and the water are not an inheritance from our forefathers, but on loan from our children. So we have to hand over to them at least what was handed over to us. Our Prime Minister, Sri Narendra Modi, reiterated this approach when he proposed the one-word movement in COP26 in Glasgow, that being life, lifestyle for environment. He stated that today, the world admits that lifestyle has a big role in climate change. So I propose before you a one-word movement, that being life, L-I-F-E, which means lifestyle for environment. What is needed today is mindful and deliberate utilization instead of mindless and destructive consumption. <clears throat> Finally, I end by thanking you for giving me a patient listening. We look forward to collaborating with you in every which way we can and will be glad to receive any suggestions or recommendations that you might have. Our point of contact for this purpose will be my colleague, Mr. Dhawal Lakhani, who can be contacted on the email ID as mentioned on this slide. With that, I hand over to my colleague, Dr. Ravi Chandra. Very good afternoon to all of you. I think as my colleague pointed out, I think the Indian Arctic policy has driven from strong, uh, strong science drivers. So you all know that uh, how India is far away from Arctic, but what is the science drivers? So I will briefly explain to you how, what are the science drivers we are looking at from the Arctic angle. As you all know that in the Earth system, we have five spheres, atmosphere, uh, hydrosphere, cryosphere, geosphere, and biosphere. But the most importantly, the cryosphere component, we look at holistically in all three poles, Antarctic, Arctic, and Himalaya. As you all know that when the climate change is happening, the first one to respond is the cryosphere. Hence, we are looking at in deeply. When you talk about climate change, or maybe when you talk about Arctic change, there are four important things which changes. One is a climate change, and the second one is resources in terms of living and ecosystem. And the third one is non-living resources, actually basically oil and gas or minerals. And the fourth one may be the northern uh, ship routing. Of course, I will be more focused on climate change and its impact on the uh, Indian contents. When you talk about evidence of uh, impact of Arctic warming, the first one is the large impacts on Arctic ecosystem and the changes in the balance of physical process and the strong feedbacks and also the impact of lower latitude in terms of climate and weather. 
So you all know that all the three important things, so surface temperature warming, decrease in sea ice extent, and sea level rise, these are the three important drivers of the climate change under this warming world. So all these things are happening in the Arctic. When you talk about climate change and what is the polar connections, there are many variables. One is a sea ice decline. So when you have a sea ice decline, there is an extreme rainfall many places. I will come back to a little later. And the polar vortex is changing. Whenever the polar vortex is changing, it's a speed and what is happening in India and other places. And the glacier and ice shelf melting, the long-term sea level rise, and permafrost degradation, of course, the emission of methane and other greenhouse gases, and of course, the cyclone and other extremes are continues to increase. So when you talk about why India in the Arctic science diverse, this is the main three things. One is the teleconnection, of course, uh, between the Arctic and the Asian monsoon, and different timescale, intraseasonal, within the month or two, within the season, as well as the interannual, and the decadal and much longer timescale. What is the teleconnection exist? And the second one is the you all know that the air temperature is warmer or the increasing trend is higher in the Arctic region, but you all know that the Indian Ocean, where we are, is the highest warming trend in the ocean. So that's why there is a link between the Indian Ocean and the Arctic. And also the short term, when you are talking about in a monthly scale, we have an atmospheric bridge, that is atmospheric connectivity, whereas in the long term, ocean tunnel, it is taking in the year and beyond, it is a ocean tunnel, which is connected to the Asian continent and the Arctic. Of course, we are trying to reveal the past history from all three poles, from uh, Arctic, Antarctic, and the Himalaya. So the first one I will talk about, the, what is the impact of Arctic oscillation in winter monsoons? So just quickly, when we are talking about winter time, whenever there is an Arctic oscillation, a positive phase, we will have a more precipitation in northern India. You can see that, for example, in 2015, in March, rainfall, usually in March, we don't have rainfall. But whenever the Arctic is a positive pace, we have a huge rainfall in the March in the Indian continent, which is, though rainfall is good, but in the March, it is not good for the many of the crops and other things. So there is an Arctic oscillation and winter connectivity. Number two, in the Indian Ocean. When you have, an, actually, MJO, MJO is the Madden-Julian oscillation. It is basically a convective activity in the equatorial Indian Ocean. Whenever the convective activity is happening in the Indian Ocean, and there is a, within a month's time scale, you will have a lot of heat transported to the Arctic, and you will have a melting in the Arctic. So the top one shows the, how much contribution from this MJO is melting the heat in the Arctic. Roughly about 10 to 20% of the heat is mainly from the Indian Ocean convective activity. The Arctic is warm, uh, sea ice is melting. So there is a connectivity between Indian Ocean convection versus Arctic sea ice. And the third one is the pathway linking between monsoon heating. Basically, whenever there is an extreme rainfall, now for example, the Pakistan or in the northwest India, whenever there is an extreme rainfall is happening, lot of heat is transported to the, uh, from the atmosphere wrong, all the way to the Arctic. Again, there is a heating is uh, uh, transported to the Arctic and it is a melting is happening because of the extreme rainfall. So whenever there is extreme rainfall, you can get within 16 or two weeks to three weeks, you can get the heating effect in the Arctic so that melting happens. 
and the fourth connectivity if you can see that asian monsoon of course whenever there is a asian monsoon there is a four months we get almost a, um, one meter rainfall during that time the convective activity or the uh, the precipitation has produced lot of latent heat and that latent heat is all the way transported in the polar circumpolar uh, region and it is making a dipole in the arctic that means one region you will have a more ice melt in another region there is a opposite behavior will happen and up to now you are talking about the connection between the tropics and the arctic whatever is happening in the tropical region there is a impact on the arctic now some cases you can also see that reverse way in the long term trend you can see whenever there is a arctic sea ice loss and we get uh, especially in the late august september we have a strong extreme event is happening especially in the recent time scale you get the the extreme rainfall events in india it is increasing as i mentioned it is average the rainfall is 1 meter around but earlier also 1 meter and now also 1 meter but now the extremes are that means more rainfall it is a flooding is happening more frequently at and then the earlier things so that is more important because of that is mainly because of the arctic sea ice loss so also if you talk about interannual time scales whenever the greenland sea ice decreases we have a, there is a pacific uh, warming is happening because of the el nino changes and other things and then we have a direct link between greenland sea ice and the inter, uh, indian monsoon rainfall so there is a connection between asian monsoon and arctic sea level in the interannual time scales so coming back to this although there is uh, there are uh, teleconnections uh, exist between atmosphere and the ocean also play a significant role because whatever the sea ice melt in the long term that uh, 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 ice sheet melt has contributed uh, contribute to sea level and the indian ocean you know that unlike other ocean indian ocean is blocked one and you have expect a large sea level rise in the indian ocean unlike other ocean so hence arctic research is very important so in that connection we started arctic indian arctic program mainly the thrust areas are various kinds of long term monitoring and also we have done a lot of science in that connection and also arctic science management now we are going on doing for the last few years and then what is our goal for the near future is the improvement of our understanding with all the countries and also we need to improve our observation capability as well as modeling for forecasting in the future and finally i would like to have a strong collaboration and networking in both within the arctic nations as well as in entire globe thank you very much for your attention